you got Problems that you ought to be concerned with Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn Hello and welcome to this week's Bad With Money mailbag episode I'm Gabby Dunn This week I am joined by Mal Blum To react and respond to your messages and emails Let's get into it On today's show, I'm going to read emails about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, more recommendations for books I should break down and take down, a story about Dave Ramsey from Heather from Perth, and a couple emails about disability from Jude and Simon. In the second half of the show, I'm going to read a long anonymous email from a nurse who is pro-conservatorships, a question from Eleonora about credit card points, and another email about using Monzo. Hi, Mal. What's up? Hello. What's that? My glockenspiel. Oh, wow. I love continuity. (laughs) I thought it wow, would be Wow, I really good. do. We talked about how my mallet got broke, and so I thought I would. Plus, you know, how do you feel about sound effects on the show, you know? <laughs> that is fun. I don't hate it. It's giving Mr. Rogers vibes. Excuse me. I didn't go to four years of puppet school to be called Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Dr. Rogers. Thank you. Dr. Juris Robert. Do- Juris um, I'm actually a, a lawyer. <laughs> Dr. Rogers. PhD Esquire. Okay. This is an email from Allison. Quick anecdote. I guess you can use my first name if it's podcast worthy, but otherwise anonymous, please. Sorry, it is podcast podcast worthy worthy. because. Yeah, I know an Allison. And also there's two Allisons that wrote in this week. So it is actually podcast worthy. Also, I just want to give this person a pep talk. Why do you think your name isn't podcast worthy? Podcasts are like worse radio shows. What are you about to say? (laughs) Worst radio shows. You're, you're, Worst you're, radio shows. I'm just Are kidding. You I love kidding podcasts. Me? I love podcasts. I'm obviously kidding. I'm just saying, like, your name is podcast worthy. It's worthy of a podcast. Everyone's name is worthy of a podcast. That's why so many straight dudes have them. Damn. Well, Allison listened to today's episode immediately for the algorithm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Then I sit down on the train this evening next to someone reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Maybe they are a fellow listener, and like Steen, were trying to position themselves to look like they are reading it ironically. But based on their suit-bag-watch combo, alas, I fear not. Couldn't think of anyone else to share this moment of extreme judgmental mess on my part, so I'm finally sending you my first email. Thanks for everything you do, Allison. Dang. Wow. Oh, man, I I hope they're not a listener, because that would mean that you are giving him book sales. I know. And also, I, Steen was so worried that the person on the airplane, people on the airplane were going to think that she was reading it for real. And now, look, maybe this guy's reading it for his podcast. We don't know. You should have hid it inside of a porno. I know exactly, right? <laughs> Put Rich Dad, Poor Dad in a Playboy. Hope for the best. Inside um, of a comic book. Right, exactly. Okay, so this is another email from a different Allison in Alberta. And it's and it gives you a book to read. Hey, Gabby, after you've done Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I wonder if you could do The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which mm. was the early 90s omnipresent precursor to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. My dad loved that book, and I am hesitant to pick it up. My gut says no, but my anxiety says, what if I miss out? Thanks, mm. Allison and Alberta, she, they. Have you ever read that book? No, but I'm assuming because it's a precursor to 
rich dad, poor dad, that one of the habits of highly effective people is to call your friend's dad your second dad, even though he <laughs> isn't your dad, and be like, that's that my rich dad. Your dad. Don't don't talk real dad. You're my poor dad. <laughs> that's I, a highly effective I person. Read- that's a highly effective person. I want to read How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I also want to read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I feel like I'll become right. a worse person. Worse. I'll become worse. Yeah. But I do want to try it. I'll read one of those with you if you want. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't Can mind. Can you imagine if you read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? I guarantee I don't do them. I, yeah, I know. Well. Um, number one habit. Wake up early. Have your <laughs> housekeeper tidy things. Number two. <laughs> Habit, be born so true to the Rockefellers. Um, make well, we might be wrong. Maybe we're wrong. We should read it. Maybe we're wrong. Number okay. three, what? Don't take no for an answer, and don't examine why you feel comfortable doing that. Number four. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Okay. Well, we don't want to assume, but let's. We, we, maybe we'll read it. I'll read it. Oh my god. I feel stressed out even saying that, but let's do it. Okay, this is another book review request from Amanda. Hi, Gabby. I would love for you to read and review Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You to Be Rich for the podcast. Ramit's actually (laughs) been a guest on this show. Uh Uh-oh. Also, check out the numerous courses he sells on his website. I read the book probably three times and listened to his podcast every week. I do believe I've gotten a lot of valuable advice from him, but some of his ideas do not sit well with me, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Love the podcast. Thank you for all you do, and hi to Mal. Amanda. Bonjour. Um, he did not make you risk? No, I, I haven't read his book, but I know Ramit a little bit. Uh-oh, nepotism. That's I, no, that's not what I, I No, mean. no, no. I get into, I get into, um, oh my God, I get into reading books by people I know and ripping them apart. You could do that with Susie Orman. <laughs> with with my nemesis, Susie Orman. What you don't understand, my tether. Gabby. What you don't understand, Gabby, <laughs> what you don't understand is I have a private Susie Orman and is my I tether. will hunt you for sport, Gabby. What you don't understand is that I've been doing this since you were a fetus, and uh, man is the most dangerous game. So come to my island, and I. Uh, 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 if you have, I want to use my longbow. And yes, I I went with the longbow because it's more expensive, and I deserve nice things, Gabby. Gabby. Okay, listen. <laughs> if you are a new fan of this show, please go find my episode that I did with Susie Orman. I did, in fact, we're joking, <laughs> but I did in fact have Susie Orman on this show. She reached out to me. It was a harrowing experience. Okay, this is an email from Andrea. Hey, Gabby, thanks for reading my letter online a few weeks ago. My offer still stands to talk about how to not be an asshole landlord. Unlike 99% of all landlords or property management companies in my experience. Quick follow-up, I'm listening to your takedown of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I haven't read, by the way, so thanks for sparing me the slog of that task. Unsurprisingly, that book has reared its ugly head in almost every single episode of one of the most influential podcasts for real estate investors called Bigger Pockets. The dudes who run that have created an empire. That podcast and all the books they write are basically my reference for how not to be an ethical property manager. Example, on their podcast, they interview guests and at the end of the interview, they ask a standard questionnaire, including what books the guest recommends or was hugely influential. And at least 90% of the time, that guest cites Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Even women and BIPOC guests cite it. So yeah, that's horrific. 
Also wanted to throw this at you. I've been in fundraising, philanthropic, e.g. Zuckerberg and Case Foundation, as well as online small dollar mass fundraising for progressive causes for 15 plus years. And you could base an entire podcast, not just one episode, but an entire podcast on how fucked up philanthropy is. There are BIPOC founders of fucking amazing nonprofits doing incredible work. And millionaire white ladies kind of turn the power differential in between those EDs and the foundations they funnel their money through in a modern version of a minstrel show. Holy crap. Anand Jiri Haradas only showed the very tip of that iceberg. I don't know who that is, but I'm about to find out. Anyway, I love your podcast. And even if you want to take me down a notch as a landlady, I'd still be a fan. Smiley face. Aww. That's a real fan. Who's Anand Jiri Haradas? I don't know enough. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm learning stuff. Oh, wow. Anand Jiri Haradas is an American journalist and political pundit. He is the author of three books. Oh, winners take all. The elite charade of changing the world. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. I want to read that. That seems to be about philanthropy. Okay, I'm interested. I'm listening. I like this recommendation. And also, what is the Zuckerberg and Case Foundation? I'm really learning a lot. Who is that? Zuckerberg and Case Foundation? Yeah. Is it like a money front for him to launder his money? (laughs) Yeah, it's just him going... Oh, it seems to be something with his wife. Yeah. They make grants to organizations working in support of missions in science and education. All right. Right. Okay. Whatever. Um, I'm going to look into this book by Anand. Maybe this would be a good book to read on the show because it won't be us ripping it apart. It'll probably be really interesting. But then that wouldn't be a good episode. It would It would be a good episode in the sense that I would then tell people probably to read it if I liked it. I don't know. I think it could be a good episode for me to do a book that actually is informative and is going to give okay. people some information. People Great. like to listen to other people talk about things and they don't like to read. That's my takeaway. Okay. Yeah. Did you learn that and how to win friends and influence people? I did. Yeah, I did. Well, you know what? If you have a book that you think is good that I should read, write in and recommend that too. Okay. Oh, if you like what? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you should read the sequel. Fun Dad, Boring Dad, or the trilogy, <laughs> or, or the trilogy, Handsome Dad, Ugly Dad. <laughs> so sad. Okay, are you ready for some more controversy? Sure, always. Okay, hi Gabby and Mel. Anonymous, she/her confessions of a nurse. Sometimes I desperately want one of my patients to be in a conservatorship. Please bear with me. I'll start what? by saying that the fruit. <laughs> Hold on. I'll start by saying that the Free Britney movement is beyond important, and it's done amazing things for disability advocacy against abuse of conservatorship, or in my state, (laughs) guardianship. The fucked up thing is that sometimes you can't get a guardian when you need one, and that can be even worse. First, some disclaimers. For some context, the medical decision maker and the financial manager are two separate roles, but they're commonly appointed to the same person at the same time. So I'm referring to both as guardian. Also, all of my knowledge is limited to Oregon, and I'm not an expert on disability rights or legal anything. I'm just a nurse who's seen some shit. So, many of the people who I take care of are incredibly vulnerable. They have advanced Alzheimer's and dementia and are otherwise fundamentally unable to make their own decisions. Often the things that these folks really lack is access to safe housing that provides a sufficient level of care memory care facilities, assisted living, or even an adult foster home. The thing is, if a resident cannot make their own medical and legal decisions, there is no facility that will accept them without a guardian. Memory care facilities are especially upfront about this policy, and I actually agree with this. Without a legal decision maker, facilities, which are often for-profit, would be in the position of dictating their residents' medical care. Also, if you can't make your own legal decisions, then that logically includes the decision to sign yourself into a memory care. 
Some of the worst situations that I've witnessed have been the patients who couldn't make their own decisions, but also didn't have any family. I've seen people stuck in the hospital for months or even over a year because no facilities will accept them without a guardian. Keep in mind that hospital beds are in short supply. Content warning for self-harm, self-neglect, psychiatric crisis, and medical trauma. Okay, let's pause for that. I also hold the controversial opinion that sometimes people benefit from receiving care that they don't want. For example, I've had patients whose mental health symptoms are serious enough that they're not eating, not drinking, they're declining care for wounds or infections, are not participating in toileting or permitting basic hygiene care, etc. They may also be living in abject terror because clinical paranoia is a symptom. Without a guardian, a temporary guardian, or court authorization, staff are not allowed to perform any intervention that the patient doesn't agree to. The exception is emergency life-saving interventions. While that sounds great in theory, in practice it means that staff have to wait until the person is at the point of serious injury before acting. As a result, the interventions end up being much more invasive, like a feeding tube, injection medication, being physically restrained to receive hygiene or wound care, and so on. These forced, delayed interventions are incredibly traumatizing to both the patient and the staff who have to perform them. It's awful. End content warning. To be clear, I don't want anyone to have to receive forced medication or medical care. I have seen people come out of some very serious psychiatric symptoms in response to treatment, and they're able to continue to live their lives. So it's especially infuriating that people end up in these situations because almost everyone who is being cared for on my unit could have avoided ending up there. If only they had been able to access ongoing outpatient medical and mental health care. But that's a topic for another email. The thing is, it currently costs $5,000 in the state of Oregon to pursue guardianship of a family member. Many patients don't have any family members able to step into that role, let alone a family member who has a spare 5K and is willing to act as a guardian. The guardian can potentially be reimbursed for these legal costs out of the patient's finances, but only if the patient has $5,000 that doesn't need to be applied to their ongoing care instead. The guardian will become responsible for managing their relative's bills and medical expenses. Many potential guardians stand to lose money by assuming care of their relative, unlike Brittany's dad. It is possible to have a guardian who isn't a family member, but that's complicated to do. In Oregon, you're incredibly unlikely to get a state guardian or someone who is employed by the state but acting as a guardian on behalf of individual citizens. That's because there are only eight people working as government-appointed guardians in the entire state. And that's a recent expansion before the new 2021 fundraising. There used to be four people, four, for the entire state. Some counties also have public guardians, but not all, and you need someone advocating for you to get one. So yeah, it's next to impossible to get a public guardian. I know you won't click this link, but you can verify my source on the Oregon Public Guardianship website. I'll click it. I'll click your yeah. link. I'll put the link know? in the description. You can hire a third-party professional to act as the guardian, but that takes money and is typically initiated and funded by a family member. If you have the resources to do this for a loved one, it's an option worth considering. A good professional guardian can be very skilled at navigating bureaucracy, advocating to insurance companies, and communicating compassionately with the person receiving care. If someone is in a position where they need a guardian to access care, their best bet is often for a family member to step up. That's unfortunate because this system doesn't really account for abusive family dynamics and leaves vulnerable people open to further exploitation by their family. Hashtag free Britney. So yeah, I don't really have a solution, but it's clear that the whole damn system is hugely neglected. I think that the really 
urgent need is to build a better, more robust system of support with changes driven by the expertise of disabled people. I'm worried that by advocating to get rid of guardianship and conservatorship without building a better system to replace it, we'll just end up fucking over more people. TLDR, I want to burn it all down. I really do. But I think we should evacuate the building first. Interesting. It sounds like there's a few different things happening. Um, And I guess I'm not an expert But I feel like the ideal would be if more facilities were trained to deal with, I guess, consent-based care with Alzheimer's patients. Actually, have you ever watched, um, I think her name is Tipa, Tipa's videos on TikTok, Tipa Snow. No. She does a lot of um, videos about like consent-based care with like dementia patients and like how to sort of work with them and different ways to talk to them and stuff. And I understand that probably can be like un believably frustrating and uh, difficult to navigate if somebody is not really present. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the solution is just like hire more guardians to be like, I'm consenting to their care, or if the solution is to, you know, fund more places that can work with the patient without a guardian? I don't I don't really know. What do you think? Uh, the person you're talking about is Tipa L. Snow, who actually I is a so, really yeah. well-known author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I looked it up. It's a person um, that is actually a really well-known author on dementia care. Um, yeah. So if I watch her videos a lot. Check that out. Yeah. She'll do like a video being like, you know, a caregiver coming in and being like, you have to, you have to take a bath, like you have to, whatever. And then the patient gets like, you know, kind of combative and like, upset and whatever then she'll like stop the video and like do it again and be like here's another way to like you know whatever and she's playing both parts she's not showing patients uh she'll have another person she works with play the playing the part part. yeah yeah yeah. it's it's like a skit it's not yeah yeah i think that oftentimes with things that need to be ended uh we need a new system in its place new system you know i think that people get mistaken when we say abolish prisons and abolish the police that we're just asking for everything to run amok and we're not we're asking for new more robust systems and different ways of approaching things so i think this is a good email in the sense that it provides some on the ground reporting you know we talked uh in a previous mailbag about the the movie i care a lot which you and i had just watched about conservatorships and guardianships it's a it's a, a fictional movie and i think you know, that movie scared the pants off us. Yeah, truly. Which did. is what it was supposed to do. So, yeah, maybe there is. And it more is based in some reality. It is, definitely. No, no, it absolutely is. Um, but I appreciate this person writing in with like yeah. a little bit more of a nuanced on the ground take. So let me know what you guys think, you know? Yeah. Sounds like she's saying like, we can't do away with patient advocates because the people who need advocacy the most will suffer. Um, I just don't know if that's within the structure of conservatorships. There might be a better structure out there. I don't know. I don't know. I'm no expert. It's so hard for me to hear that people that need help at the end of their lives like are so vulnerable in like 400 million different ways. It's like so awful. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 
25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint, and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now, I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, you even need um, money to die. It's crazy. You need money to die. Um... Okay, this is one that I think you might have some information about. Me? L writes in, Hi Gabby, love your show. This is a silly little question, but I'm wondering if there's a best way to use my credit card rewards points or if Ooh. I might just as well redeem them for cash. Thanks, L. Mal, take it away. Depends what the credit card is. <laughs> it depends. It's honestly 100% depends on the credit card. Some credit card, and also it depends on like the valuation of uh, for example, the points guy uh, will, when you're signing up for different Friend credit cards. Friend of the cards, pod, the points guy. The points guy who is gay. <laughs> My favorite thing was you running into the room being like, you know, the points guy is gay. And then for the next the moment, telling guy everyone. Was on bad, yeah, the points guy was on bad with money. And my big takeaway was the points guy is gay, which is fucking cool. Anyway, yeah, they do valuations of like, with all the benefits of this card or whatever, we we estimate the value to be and they'll give you like a dollar number or whatever. So they do that. Um, certain cards, if you were – like for example, I have a Marriott rewards card, whatever. And I saw the other day that you can actually redeem Marriott points for – you can transfer them to – I think it was Alaska Airlines or some, some airline and you get um, something like three three airline points per – point of whatever so you like have to look into that for your own for your own card basically um and see also if it's something that you would be buying anyway right like if it's you have a trip coming up that you have to take uh and you can use your credit card points to do it i would do that but if you don't and like you want to get the cash back then get the cash back baby um, but it totally depends on the credit card and like what the options are with that particular card and where those points can be transferred because they're different for every card. That's my take. Thank you. I knew because Mal Mal is the trans points guy. <laughs> my God. Thank you so much. Did you know the trans points guy is gay? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Bisexual. L, write in and tell us what card you have and we'll give you the T. I'll call um, the points guy if you want. Oh my God. I would love to be able to call the points I don't know if we'll be able to use this, but when I interviewed him, a friend of mine slid into my DMs and said that he hooked up with the points guy at a wedding. Really? If I hooked yeah. up with the points guy at a wedding, I would want something out of it, like a trip. Or I was going to say, do you think like after you hook up with him, you go, you look at him and go, I want my, I want cash back. <laughs> I would. I would be like, listen, I'll do foot stuff. I'll do whatever you want. But like, can you get me a first class flight? Can you upgrade? He can. Me? He absolutely can. Great. Then I'm willing to do. He would do it without you hooking up with him. He's the person said he's very nice. Anyway, okay. I'm sure he loves to be used for his points. He, they weren't. It wasn't. It was a genuine connection. Okay. This is an email from Robert. Hi, Gabby. On listening to your latest mailbag episode last night, I was finding myself in agreement with the person who was talking about Monzo. As a recent convert to the bank from Santander, 
Particularly as someone with learning difficulties, I find some of the features particularly of use as a workaround to some of the parts of my difficulties. The ability to see everything that happens with my bank account, not just monetary transactions, means I can keep track of if anything out of the ordinary has happened. The feature that allows me to put all my bills, money, or any category, but for me, bills, to go out of a pot which tells me how much is needed to keep on track. Yes, they may not have physical branches, but their live chat is great if I need anything clarified. Between this and YNAB, which I have written to you about before, I kind of find that I hardly need any other financial tools besides the amazing Bad With Money podcast to stay on track with my finances. And I have a nice little kiss ass there. As someone with quite a few non-binary friends, I find it great that you can put your pronouns in and you can use a name other than your legal one once ID checks are done. Sorry for my overenthusiasm, but I feel like in such a short space of time, it's helped me so much and thought it deserved another shout out. Thanks and sending best wishes to you and Mal, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, Robert. Again, um, I will try YNAB if you pay me. If YNAB pays me, I will try it. Someone from YNAB is eventually going to get wind of this. Comes up every time and I refuse. I refuse to look into it unless I'm being compensated. Just like sleeping with the points guy. How many emails do you think it will take for Mal to actually use YNAB? Please write in. And if you're from YNAB, sponsor us. Cowards. I don't know why they would. I'm giving away all of this shit for free. Anyway. Okay. This is an email from Heather from Perth, Australia. Down under. Down under, Heather. Oh, Josie, Josie. Oi, oi, oi. What Eventually, is that? Eventually, the entire country of New Zealand and Australia are just going to stop listening to this podcast. That's fine. Okay. Oh, the last person from New Zealand and you called them an Aussie. No, they're a Kiwi. <laughs> a Kiwi. I said they're a Kiwi. Okay, okay. This week, last what week is we Aussie, New Aussie, Zealand, Aussie. this week we have Australia. It's a thing they say at their football matches, I think. Oh, right in. I'm probably wrong. Such a okay. jock. <laughs> I'm a jock. I guess what you could say is that I'm a jock. Okay. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I wanted to first blame you, Gabby, for getting me into Dave Ramsey because of your episode (laughs) way back when. Oh, I forgot about this. Because of your episode way back when, when you had Sarah, a.k.a. YouTuber Budget Girl, on the show explaining how she paid off her student loans. I started watching her videos and doing the Dave Ramsey baby steps. She no longer advocates for him or his work, but I have to say it worked for me. I did interview a, a YouTuber called Budget Girl at one point. Having a $1,000 savings tucked away before starting to pay down my debts, smallest to largest, made a lot of sense to me whilst going scorched earth meant I paid off 11,000 pounds in eight months. Did I use pounds? Yeah, whatever. 11,000 pounds in eight months. Scorched earth means grocery shopping and eating super frugally, selling stuff I no longer used war, working three jobs to the point where I spent 84% of 2017 working. Weirdly, listening to Dave's misogynistic, morally bankrupt, evangelical Christian podcast kept me motivated that I could do this. Every day, people came on the show and told their getting debt-free stories from much more challenging situations than my own as a single person living alone and able to spend all my money on addressing my own basic needs and clearing my debt. I think he's a shit of a person, especially when he brags about sweeping up real estate at a fraction of its value post the 2008 financial crisis from people who had to foreclose and how he even made heaps of money thanks to 9-11's impact on the stock market. But his advice as to how to get out of debt and begin saving and investing is working for me and my now family. I am so ready for your hot take on it, especially his creepy daughter who is like, stop comparing yourselves to other people and get rich and live a wholesome Christian life like me. Crying laughing emoji. 
You are amazing, Gabby. And finding your pod when you first started has literally changed my life, my financial situation, and the way I see the world. So thank you. Heather from Perth, Australia. Having been able to move here due to my financial ability to save money for a holiday here after my debt freedom, meet the man of my dreams, and move here from the UK in 2018. Kisses, kisses. XX for kisses. Heather! Wow. Okay. Is this a bad time to bring up that I am leaving this podcast to become Dave Ramsey's co-host? He wouldn't have you. He hates queer people. Um, oh, yeah. He doesn't know that I'm trans. <laughs> I'm going to tell him on air. Oh, I would love that. Um, okay. So here's the thing. By the time you... This is almost like a, by the time you watch this video, I will already be dead. Uh, by the time you hear this mailbag, <laughs> our Dave Ramsey episode will be out. So you will already know how I felt about it. Um Budget Girl was on the show at the time she was doing the Dave Ramsey steps. Um, as you can tell, as as Heather wrote in, she no longer advocates for him. Gee, I wonder why. Because he ended up being very problematic and terrible. Um, people have told me that he has helped them. I do like the idea that him being a shit on his podcast motivated you because you were like, if, I, if this asshole can do it, then I can do it. Which is a twisted way of doing his steps. But you'll be able to hear my full opinion on this in an episode that probably came out a week and a half ago. I think if you do if, if you do any system, it's better than no system. So probably people who are doing his system that weren't doing a system before, it helped them. But here's the problem with Dave Ramsey is that he says, if you don't do my system exactly correct, exactly the way I say, and it doesn't work for you, then um, you just didn't do it right. That's what all scammers say. And you're not a true believer. That's what of all scammers course. say. Yeah. So is this better than doing nothing? Yes. But to him, he doesn't take it that way. He takes it as like, you better be a devotee or else you're a garbage person. But that's a tactic because then when people say didn't work for me, he can be like, you didn't do it right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm saying like, they were like, oh, he did help me. And it's like, well, if you were doing nothing before and you start to do something, like it's going to help probably. I don't know how much credit we You'll give You'll hear them. my full breakdown with Tori Dunlap. Uh, you probably heard it a week and a half ago. It's called the Big Bad Dave Ramsey Breakdown. What's the okay. name of his book again? Baby Steps Millionaires. Oh, Baby Steps Millionaires are the kids that Rich Dad and Poor Dad had. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Together, beautiful gay couple with baby baby steps millionaires. And that's you know the preschool they started. their wedding? S Susie Orman. The points guy. Susie Orman! The points guy. Jesus. The points guy. The points guy was the ring bear. Just kidding. Do, do not put him in that category. The points guy would never. Okay. Dear Gabby and Mal, I am so excited to hear about trying money-related games for the show. This Yay. one, You Are Jeff Bezos, where you can play in the browser, is what I yeah, have handed I relatives this in the hopes of radicalizing them. I'm not sure they ever played it, but at least they think Bezos is an asshole now, so that's something. The I goal is it. to spend all of Bezos' money, and there are multiple different endings. There's someone in the comments that gives hints as to how to get those endings. As it says on the tin, what would you do if you had more money than any single human being should ever have? And I feel mean inflicting this on y'all, but there's also Cookie Clicker, an idle game that was extremely popular like five to ten years ago and still gets updates that is pretty clear about its critique of capitalism. Besides the games, I'd really like if you went into more detail about disability and finances. I had to fight a court battle to prove I was disabled, which is not unusual, unfortunately, in which everything was used against me, including the fact that I got an A in a foreign language 101 or 102 class. It was the only class I was taking at the time. 
My win was that despite all logic, maybe future non-existent treatments will improve my health. And so I have to verify, no, I still can't work beyond trying to submit stories to magazines. I still receive ECT treatments monthly. I'm still very autistic. Here are my medical contacts every so often. Anyway, I received an embarrassingly small amount from SSI. Legally cannot save much more except for an ABLE account, which I need help to make and I'm basically getting no help making it. And of course, I can't marry. Marriage equality, my ass. Yeah. As the victim of abuse in the past, while my mind knows I can trust family members, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. I cannot have a fuck off fund if shit goes south. Yeah. Once I've settled on a new name, I'd like to change my legal documents, but I also worry that as a disabled person, it's more trouble than it's worth. Oh, they're yeah. also trans. I feel that. I did manage some time ago. I have no grasp of time currently. I'm not sure if that's the pandemic or the periodic ECT treatments to apply for disability discharge of student loans, which I nearly needed a lawyer's help with since despite sending the right documents, documents over and over again, I was being rejected. Seriously, my next step would have been to email the lawyer I used in my disability hearing in the hopes she could send an angry letter. And I encourage everyone who is legally disabled, I think you have to be legally disabled for this program, to sign up for it, disabilitydischarge.com. Though it does mean once your loans are forgiven, you cannot do any college or university classes or degrees for a decade. So keep that in mind, especially if you need a college class to access a better health system, like how it is for a lot of people in my area. I don't believe in the great man theory of history, but since so many problems in my life can be traced to Ronald Reagan, who hasn't been a politician in my mm. lifetime, and I'm quite glad he's dead, LOL, maybe I should start believing in the amazingly shitty person theory of history, though someone else can come up with a better name. Sorry, I know this is a lot. If you want to use this for the show, feel free to edit it down. Sincerely, Jude, they, them. P.S. I try to listen the day of release, but when I have ECT, and it's usually on a Friday, I have to sometimes listen to the mailbag episodes on Saturdays or Sundays. Oh my God. That's Please okay. do not apologize for that. <laughs> do not apologize for that, Jude. Uh, yeah, the great man theory of history. If you don't know what that is, look it up. But I love the amazingly shitty person theory of history. And I love giving that to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so many bad things trace back to Ronald Reagan. So many. More Thank than you, you even think. Thank you for writing that in, Jude. So yeah. many more than you think. Maybe, you know what? I should do a, a bad with money about Ronald Reagan. That's actually a great oh idea. Yeah. I should do an episode about Ronald Reagan. And I should get someone who's an expert on him to come on. You should get Sarah Marshall because on your wrong about, they're always talking about how bad Reagan was. Or maybe it was Michael Hobbs. I, I don't remember which of them always brought up Reagan, but he's bad. But he's a bad boy. I think boy. they both hate Reagan. And Michael Hobbs has a lot of reason to hate Reagan because um, he's a gay man, much like the points guy. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy, and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Okay. Here is our last email and then I'll let you guys go. Okay. Dear Gabby. Hello. Huge fan of this show and Just Between Us. I play along with hypotheticals every time. All the best to you and the whole team's working on these podcasts. One thing I think would be really interesting to talk about on the show is financial planning while acting as a carer for people such as friends or family. Hmm. People's situations vary a lot, but a common trend is that households with a carer and someone they look after are not given enough financial support by the government. I live in the UK and I thought sharing my experience of budgeting while acting as a carer may allow other people to hear about what this experience can be like. I'd encourage reading other stories too. My name is Simon, they, them. I'm 23 and I've been a carer for three years. We are both doing well now, but the lack of financial support really affected the people I care for and myself. It's kind of a long story, so feel free to paraphrase or skim read. I shared a flat with a friend of mine for three years. She has some progressive physical disabilities and has chronic struggles with mental health. Before moving in together, I offered to work as her carer, assisting with daily tasks such as cooking, cleaning, helping collect prescriptions, and completing life admin, emails, etc., we are both LGBT plus and neurodivergent. In our first year living together, we both lived from our university maintenance loans of $9,300 each, a combined income of $18,600, which in the UK are a loan from the government and paid back as a percent of income only if you earn over $27,500. Alongside this, my friend had some savings from working five jobs at once alongside university. Our annual expenses for rent, food, and bus trips to university equaled 13,300 euros, leaving us with approximately 3,000 pounds each saved. During this time, I was a part-time carer for approximately 25 hours a week. This time did not interfere with my university attendance, so did not impact our income. It was then 2020 and my friend graduated while I continued my final year of studies. Due to my friend's high risk of COVID-19, we had to shield in lockdown for 18 months continuously, only seeing three people in person during this time, a mutual friend and each of our partners, all of whom had to socially isolate for 14 days first due to UK guidelines. My friend tried to get a job working from home, but we found nothing suitable. Therefore, our income dropped to $9,300 from my student income, plus our $6,000 savings. Our expenses that year increased to $16,000. Using every last penny of savings and income and a few hundred dollars borrowed from friends, we made it through the year without losing our flat. Please note, me and my friend were both estranged from all family members during this time, so moving back to a parental home was not an option. During that second year, I worked as a live-in carer full-time, completing carer tasks for approximately 48 hours a week on average. I was also undertaking full-time studies approximately 25 hours a week. However, I was not eligible for carer allowance, which is approximately $70 per week, despite meeting the minimum 35 hours a week of caring. This is because I was deemed a full-time student, and therefore the government says it would be unfeasible to also be a carer for 35 hours a week, and therefore automatically deems you ineligible. Despite the fact that I know many young carers under 25 who are also students full-time. Why not convert to part-time student, you may ask? This is because part-time students are only eligible for half the maintenance loan per year, so my income would have actually dropped overall. 
Also, to be deemed eligible for CARES allowance, you have to have three home assessments, which in my experience are insulting and ableist. This involves a government representative coming to your house at a time they pick and going through a checklist of things considered by the government to make you eligible for having a carer. One question is, can you cook toast? And a yes to this has at times lost people the support they are entitled to, as it is deemed, therefore, that they can cook for themselves. Also, during COVID-19, while shielding, we didn't want an untested, unvaccinated, and potentially unmasked inspector in our home. During my third year as a carer, I managed to find a suitable job working from home for 26 hours a week for $17,000 a year. This allowed me to continue being a full-time carer and make enough money to cover rent and food costs $16,000. However, as the cost of bills increased, I was left no choice but to borrow $2,000 somewhere to cover bills. I borrowed this from my partner to cover bills before the bills were sent for debt collection and damaged my credit score. Working 26 hours a week alongside 30 hours of carer support, all from the flat, was difficult time commitment-wise, and my competence at both unfortunately slipped regularly. I ended up leaving this job after 14 months due to my low mental health and perceived low commitment to the organization. Overall, all my income and the additional loan went to shared living expenses, food, and bills. And this is in the UK where healthcare through the NHS is free, including daily prescriptions. I dread to think of the challenges to carers and people with carers in America. Now, months later, me and the friend I help care for are both in much better places. We have gained increased financial security within the circle of found family. I have also found a new job. These factors have allowed me to cover my new rent, start paying back the loan from my partner, and even start saving. However, just because we managed to get through by the skin of our teeth and with the support of a loan does not mean the carer support is enough in the UK. A few other things of note about carer and disability support money in the UK. Also in the UK, partners and family members aren't eligible to be carers, even if they do the role of a carer. So in these cases, financial challenges again are frequent and can cause issues for all involved. Alongside this, through archaic and ableist law, married disabled people are no longer eligible for disability benefits, as it is deemed by our awful government that their partner will adopt financial responsibility for them. This is clearly ableist and awful. It also implies that two disabled people won't marry each other. When these marriages obviously do occur, both partners lose their disability benefits. This law has also been linked to increased risk of financial abuse. I highly recommend reading further on this and signing petitions to change this. Further information can be found on carer support and advice websites, governmental guidance documents, and on online forums for carers and people with disabilities. Would be very interested in an episode on carers and finance, whether or not you share this story. All the best with the podcast. Kind rewards, Simon. Wow. That all sounds very horrible. I don't think we have uh, carer's allowance in the U.S. at all. <laughs> no. We do not. I mean, have thank you, Simon, law. for writing in. This was really, really good for us to hear about and know. And and even if we don't do an episode about it, I really, really appreciate you writing in with all of this and and being so specific with numbers. I can't thank you enough. Yeah. So, if you want to write in about any of this, or if you want to write in for our episodes about scams and the cost of transitioning, you can do so at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word, unless you have a really good reason. Uh, and please leave us a five-star Apple review. You can also find me on AMP every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on my show, This Week in Gay. And you can also get my books, Stimulus Wreck and Bad With Money. Um, head on over to GabbyDunn.com. There's some stuff there. I really need to change the photos, though. 
Mal, what say you? I'm Mal Blum on everything. M-A-L-B-L-U-M. You can find my music anywhere you listen to music. Be sure to check out my sequel to Baby Steps Millionaire, which is called Adult. What, Mal? It's called Adult Parkour Billionaire. And it's and it's just Jeff Bezos doing parkour. It's a book about him. Thank you, guys. Love you. Bye. It's a novel. No. Done. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.